Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 41. This is Writing Excuses, researching the FCK out of things with Cory Doctorow. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Piper. I'm wondering what FCK stands for. And I'm Corey. All right. So, how do you research things? <laughs> A couple of us write things that are based in some form of reality, not Howard. And I know he's making a face at No, me. no, no. That's, that's, uh, that's totally fair. I, uh, let me just say that I love... The term FCK, the which means fact check, and the idea that you can just be hammering away on a manuscript and realize, I don't know the facts here, and just say FCK and keep so, going. So this is uh, this is a concept that I use a lot, which is I do layered research. Uh, the first thing is that when I am writing something, I tend to n- gravitate towards things I am already excited about, and. So I have tend to have a general knowledge of the thing that I'm writing about, and I will make a short thumbnail sketch of the thing, and then I do slightly more targeted research as I begin to drill into it, and then more targeted research, and then as I'm writing, if I hit something I don't know, I hit a square, I just do a square bracket and throw in a descriptor of what is supposed to be there, and then keep going, like, uh, and then the captain said jargon as he handled the thingy that you use to control a ship. And all of that's in square brackets. Um, Corey, you said you use FCK. Yeah, it's an old journalism thing. There's two useful journalism bits. One is TK for to come. That's for a thing that you need to go out and get later. And FCK is fact check. You know, the Brooklyn Bridge, all 819 FCK feet of it uh, is would be would be fact check. TK would be like if there's a quote to come or a thing that you're, you're waiting to look up or what have you. And um, I think... For me, the the great benefit of it is not merely that it reminds me to go and look stuff up. It's that it avoids the temptation to engage in what I call writing-related program activity, which is, <laughs> you know, writing-adjacent uh, Wikipedia click holes. I do that, or yeah. I used to do that, or I won't do it after this podcast. It's, you know, it's like that you're, you're, if you're like me and riven with imposter syndrome and self-doubt as you work— there's a part of your brain that's just going, you're screwing this up. Just stop. And when you give it an excuse to like go down the Wikipedia click hole, it is going to grab the tiller and it is going to like take you so deep into that swamp. It was a hole. Now it's a swamp uh, that you will just never find your way out again or, or at least not until your next writing session. So this is a way to keep going. And, you know, I guess there are some exceptions where it comes to uh, 
where where you really just can't proceed unless you know an answer. I I find that this this method works great for me when it's a texture detail, uh-huh. but if it's plot relevant, it's a terrible idea because mm. um because I have uh, I have written scenes. I'm like, what about this? And have written scenes and built novels around something that was wrong, and the thing mm. comes apart. And I just recently uh, critiqued a manuscript, and the person had not done their homework, uh-huh. and uh, in on a plot level. So it wasn't the like the details that wasn't the problem. Right. It was the the things that they had wrong affected the plot. So mm. this is I, I'm, and it's I hear you. it's another case of it depends. Well, yes. okay, uh, let me try and square that circle. So first of all, the other thing that it's really good for is internal plot consistency. Like if you can't remember yes. whether they still have the pen, you try to you write FCK, make sure they still have the pen, and then you can go back and backshadow your foreshadowing. But um, you, the the for me the research starts with. Uh, not an idea, but with the world as it exists in the world. Because I write science fiction for the most part, and it's mostly futuristic, mostly near future. And I, like you, am non-consensually eyeball-banged by headlines all day long. And they make me anxious and sad. And for the longest time, now 20 years, I have done this thing that sounds like um, Gollum with indigestion. I've been a blogger. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, and, I was waiting for you to do that. <laughs> and, and, and you know, uh, f- the thing that blogging for me does is is it is a way to be reflective instead of reflexive about all the fragmentary ideas that cross my transom. And what I do is I block out time every day and I take all those things as they fly over my transom and I make sense of them at, to the extent that I can. I talk about where they fit, how I'm think- thinking about them and so on. It has this like ancillary benefit that it becomes a thing that other people want to read that is separate from my novels and makes them interested in my work and so on. But I would do it if no one read it, first of all, for my mental health, right? Like it is how I organize narratives about things that are going on in the world and helps me feel like I have some mastery of it. But also there's a powerfully mnemonic element to gathering these things and explaining them for notional strangers that differs from a commonplace book. You know, when you write in a commonplace book, you can cheat. Right, you can make these notes that when you go back to them, you have no idea what you meant. But for a notion, a notional stranger, you have to be more thoroughgoing, and then you end up with a subconscious that's this kind of like super saturated solution of fragmentary story ideas that are banging together, and they nucleate and they crystallize into often like semi full blown novels and short stories and mm-hmm. essays and speeches and whatnot. And so now you've already done the research, right? You're already cruising along. You, the, the foundational premise you already know about because you chased it because it's in your feeds, right? And that's, that's where the story grew out of. Yeah, and that's very much what I, I do. It's like, you know, why did I write about space? Because I was already reading and thinking about space. Mm-hmm. Why did I write about Jane Austen era magic? Because I was already reading and thinking about Jane Austen era magic. I have done stuff that's set in a period or a time or or dealing with something where I'm like, oh, this would be really interesting and I have to chase it and I don't know anything about it. And there I find that I have to do more reading, but... But the reading is is very much to to give me that that kind of foundational feel of it, and it's it's very organic. I often will read in parallel to writing whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's still just continuing to feed and and churn in my mind. I, I think was, one of oh, I was yeah, going to tell a joke in Schlock Mercenary that involved 
drawing our solar system millions of years ago. And I realized that the age of Saturn's rings would determine whether or not I was going to draw them. And and I really liked this joke I was going to tell. I can't remember it, which means it, it wasn't really wasn't it really wasn't that good. But <laughs> I burnt two hours reading the research and realized they are probably young, but not enough people are convinced that I can get away with drawing Saturn without rings or with proto-rings without making the fans angry, and I don't have the time for that crap. I don't have the time for that crap was the result of two hours of research. Hmm. But that is a thing that happens, and that was a case where I knew I can't do this without doing the research up front. There are lots of cases where I'm getting ready to draw a panel, and I realize I need reference art for this. Get ref is the penciling that goes in that panel, and I set it aside until I've got time to get the reference art. I think one of the dangers, though, that we look into, because we've talked a lot about when it's absolutely needed and absolutely important, especially when it has to do with plot or how the plot comes together. But some of the dangers, particularly for those of us who do have imposter syndrome, is that it becomes, research becomes a form of procrastination because Mm -hmm. you justify that you're doing writerly things. Right. You're doing readily things. It's to improve your book. It's, you know, it's there to prove the veracity of your storyline, add to the plausibility, all of the things. And therefore, you've spent hours procrastinating when you actually should be writing the thing. And you have a whole bunch of facts that you have checked, but you have not written any further scenes or chapters in your book. And you have to make a judgment call as to how important this is to your ultimate storyline. It's the writer's version of. $10,000 worth of legit business expense lunches with people, which theoretically would contribute to the bottom line, but the bottom line is not supporting $10,000 worth Mm -hmm. of lunch. Exactly. I want to approach this from a different way, but let's first pause. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. 
Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And talk about our book of the week. Sure. Yeah, I want to talk about Annalie Newitz's latest book. It's called The Future of Another Timeline. And it is a a time travel story. Uh, It's a world in which there are these great uh, regoliths, these huge stone monuments that if you hit them with mallets in the right way, you go back in time. And if you're lucky, (laughs) there's someone there who's got mallets that can send you forward in time again. And there are all these protocols, as you might imagine, and there's historical researchers and people do stuff around it. But um, men's rights advocates are trying to end feminism. And there's a group of feminist time travelers who are trying to head them off at the pass. (laughs) And it's built around the punk scene in Orange County in the 80s. Now, Annalie Newitz was a punk in Orange County in the 80s. You want to talk verisimilitude and 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 bad, you know, I want to say uh, 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 crappy dudes. Uh, it's not the word I'd usually use. Terrible dudes uh, in, in the punk scene in, in Orange County in 1980. Boy, she's got their number. Uh, and, and, you know, they say, write what you know. And Annalie Newitz knows what a time traveler, time traveling feminist from the 1980s Orange County punk scene would be up to. They're great books. They're really fun. And, and they call them, the secret cabal is called the uh, Daughters of Harriet for the first African-American Senator Harriet Tubman. Uh, and boy, is it, is it a lot of fun. And like, it's madcap in places. There's chase scenes. It's great. I kind of wonder what the mallets look like. Well, they're, and you know, when you get very far back in time, they get very different too, yeah. you know. And you'll have to read the book to find out. And that book was The Future of Another Timeline by Annalie Newitz. Which, as of this recording, isn't out yet, but as of this listening, has been out for almost a year. So, Whee! your timeline, time traveler. Your timeline time. has this book in its right. past. <laughs> Although someone is coming back in time to stop me from promoting this feminist time travel novel. They <laughs> <laughs> we will keep the mallet away. Um, so the the thing that I want to say is we keep talking about how much research you want to do. But I think actually the question that most writers should ask is how little research can you do? Yeah. So, you know, like if you're doing uh, location research, do you have to go there? How little research can you do if you want to use a real location in the real world? In, uh, in your opinions. I, I mean— uh, it, it has not hurt the Dresden books. Right. I have, a, I have a stupid writer trick that is not location-based. So you talk about location, then I want to get in a stupid writer yes. trick. Yes. There's never any stupid tricks. No, it's I just, mean like in the trick. David Letterman sense. Okay. It's, it's delightful. So I once talked about how much I enjoyed finding a location and soaking it in to be able to add to my book. Like I will literally walk around and be like, I see a story and start writing in it. But I also travel for 75 to 80% of my time as part of my day job. Not everyone can travel that way. Not everyone has an expense account, you know, for that kind of thing. And also, you know, not everyone wants to travel for various reasons. So how do you research it? One of the answers to you is the fact that we have this wonderful thing called the Internet. And the Internet, particularly certain platforms like Google Maps, Mm. actually allow you to not just set, check something out geographically, not just look at something from a sky-level view, satellite map, 
map-wise, but you can actually look at street-level things. And then you can even research further, and there are YouTube videos out there, so you can hear what a place sounds like. Um, One of the recent things that Matthew did with me was take me to a location, which, again, we had the... We had the luckiness of the fact that we could go to this location. And um, when I took video to as reference, I recorded it with sound. And, um, you know, other things are you write about the place you live in now or you write about the place that you're visiting now and you take advantage of that and save that in notes for when you might use it in a future book. But mostly, I really like the fact that the Internet is there for that. And you can actually call out. Like I had a friend who was traveling to a place and she took pictures for me. And she gave me her impressions of the feel of the place and the people that were there and the taste of the water out of the tap, which was disgusting, you know. <laughs> and those were cool, like, things that you could capture and put in the book to make it feel like it is actually that thing. If What's you your- do have a yen to travel, though, it should be noted that any place you go to research a book, if you are going to generate taxable income from it, becomes a tax deduction. So oh, yes. yes. This is very nice. I, I've written a lot of fiction about scuba diving. As it <laughs> The uh, My Stupid Writer trick I got from uh, James McDonald, and uh, he is a gun person, and I am not a gun person. I'm a Canadian who is naturalized British, and I know nothing about guns. But I'll, I'll tell you his top tip was, he said, anytime you put a gun in your book, people are going to find errors. Because people who like guns like to find errors in the way that guns are treated literarily. However, if you put the word modified before you insert the name of the gun, a modified Walter PPK, not only will they forgive you any errors that you've made, they will tie themselves in knots thinking of which modifications you had in mind to make that gun work. And they will del- they will create elaborate theories. And the further they have to reach to make that gun do what you needed to do, the more satisfied they will be with your amazing gun foo and the <laughs> cool gun modification you came up with to make that gun work. It is my Favorite stupid writer trick. And I think it applies to other things that people... Yes. I was going to say... Modified Saturn V. Yes. Yes. Like, I have so many modified rockets in my... Yeah. Yeah. That is... Like, I have used a similar trick. Yeah. Um, My trick is to drop one piece of knowledge that is absolutely hardcore, completely 100% true, um, and... Then be vague about everything else, and sure. they assume that I've done my research. Yeah, it's a Douglas Adams towel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that modified works for recipes, friends. So if you oh, have food yeah. and call, you know, food reflecting your character building in your books, modified recipes, you have readers for life because they want that recipe. Yeah, yeah. Software too. Just like <laughs> if you want to make your character like a badass super nerd, have them download the source code, modify it, and recompile it. Now it does anything. Hooray! <laughs> So these are these are handy ways, uh, and basically the answer to the question is how little research do you need to do? Very little sometimes yeah. if you have a way to cover it. Uh, the I think that we're gonna wrap it up here. There's some other topics that we could talk about in terms of research, but I feel like we've given you some some good meaty tools to dig in with. So let's go ahead and uh, give them some homework assignment. Piper, I think you have that. I do, and actually, it has to do with my little tip. Uh, so often, we want to research by um, going to a place that will be our setting. And so we want to go in person and get a feel for a place, but that's not always feasible due to cost, due to timing, what have you. Maybe it's not even safe to go. Um, So go onto the internet, friends, and research a place, not just for the geographic location detail, 
but for the feel of the place, what it's like for people walking in the streets or not, um, for what it looks like at street level or if there's no streets at all, and even how it sounds. Bonus if you can get actual details about taste and scent from first-person accounts. You know what's a fun way to find first-person accounts? Go to your location, Google your location, Discord, Pokemon Go, and find (laughs) the Pokemon Go community in that location and the things that they have to say about wandering around so many fun I, facts. I, I well, thought you Ingress, were going to say Yelp reviews. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Ingress, Pokemon Go, Harry Potter, all by the same company, all gathering all that data, friends. Have fun with that. So this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write and research and write. Can we take a moment to appreciate the sunset? We can. I'm facing the wrong direction, and so I will play the part of the listener who didn't get to see it. I'll give you the word picture if you want, Howard. (laughs) Beyond the reflections of my balcony window lies a smooth ocean that is wine-dark. Above it, the rosy-colored fingers of dusk creep across as the ocean undulates gently. There's some trees out there, too. There are no trees. Yeah, there's a little island out oh, there. Oh, is there? Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, it's clouds. Clouds. <laughs> Full horizon. But you didn't know that, listener, did you? No. <laughs> the magic of radio. You're out of excuses. Use the internet to pretend to visit a place. <laughs> and secretly, we're in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Writing Excuses was recorded by Bert Grimm and mastered by Alex Jackson. Your hosts for this episode were Mary Robinette Kowal, Piper J. Drake, Howard Taylor, and special guest Corey Doctorow.